0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Fantasy Conciliary Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Chapin. On this week's episode, I'll go through the Week 7 rankings, giving my thoughts at each position, while also some general advice regarding the fantasy landscape in redraft leagues. Jumping right in at quarterback, Jared Goff we have as our QB7 for Week 7. It's a tougher road matchup versus the Ravens, but that didn't matter last week in Tampa Bay when Goff had 353 yards and two scores and it's crazy that he's still owned in less than 60% of ESPN leagues. Golf, I think, is the 18th quarterback in terms of roster percentage, below some struggling options, but he's the overall QB4 on the season, and if he's still available, golf should be immediately picked up and treated as at least a low-end QB1 the rest of the way. Right behind him is Geno Smith at the QB8 spot, taking on the Cardinals at home. Last week was perhaps a worse start yet for Geno as a Seahawk. He was holding onto the ball too long, not hitting open receivers. But what we've seen from him over the past two years should allow the outing to be viewed as simply a poor performance that he should brush off now for a better matchup against the Cardinals. I'll get to the wideouts later, but I could see DK Metcalf having a huge game. So Smith should be viewed as a solid QB1 option for Week 7. The same should be true for Brock Purdy who also makes the top 10 and who also is coming off perhaps his worst start but it was on the road in sloppy conditions versus a very stout Cleveland defense and maybe Brian Flores will bring more pressure on Monday night to make Purdy struggle again but as stated for Regina Smith what we've seen from Purdy since last season should give fantasy owners confidence that he'll be just fine and if Christian McCaffrey is out it sounds like the Niners will at least have Debo Samuel, who is considered day-to-day. And with six teams on a bye, Purdy is, as stated, a top-ten play. As our QB12, so at the last of the low-end QB1 options, Daniel Jones, obviously under the assumption he returns on Sunday, he'll take on the Commanders, who have mostly struggled on defense. And even though they're 1-5, hopefully the Giants, with Saquon Barkley back, and increased involvement for Jalen Hyatt and Darren Waller will eventually hit their stride offensively. And Jones is, of course, always capable of doing damage as a runner. So a best-case scenario would be him coming back this week. Maybe the Giants get Andrew Thomas back at left tackle. Then finally, a few spots lower in the mid-range QB2 rankings is Kenny Pickett versus the Rams. You could probably make the case for him being a bit higher With Deontay Johnson set to return, and maybe Pittsburgh having some things figured out coming off the bye. But from a longer term perspective, I'm still confident in Pickett being a franchise quarterback. Especially because of the poise he's shown late in games. And it wouldn't be a huge surprise if the Steelers were able to take off offensively the rest of the way. For the running backs, this is probably as weak as I can remember it in terms of the depth. Like, for example, Javante Williams is our RB20, so a top-20 option. But I would think about starting the top 36 to 40 or so wide receivers over him, which shows the state of the position right now, whether due to injuries, of which there are many bad matchups, or simple ineffectiveness. It doesn't seem like Christian McCaffrey will play with his oblique injury. So we have Jordan Mason as our RB15 and Elijah Mitchell as an RB24, so essentially both are RB2 plays. Mason gets the edge, having run ahead of Mitchell. It's definitely possible that Mitchell is the lead runner, a week removed from the knee injury that sidelined him for a bit, but Mason has proven to be a no-nonsense runner and has produced alongside McCaffrey in recent games, so I'd anticipate him being the lead back with Mitchell in more of a super change-of-pace role, And Mason should be rostered in all formats. And both guys are worthy starts. With San Francisco perhaps leaning on the running game after their struggles in Week 6. And with McCaffrey out, the overall RB1 spot is different for the first time this season. And we've gone with Kenneth Walker taking on the Cardinals. Coming off the bye last week, Walker handled a season-high 22 touches and found the end zone for the sixth time in the past four games. So against a Cardinals defense that was just run on by Kyron Williams for over 150 yards, we love Walker's outlook as the overall RB1. Last season, he had 206 yards and three scores against Arizona in two games, and it's encouraging that he continued to be the workhorse. I think he had a season high in terms of snap percentage, despite the possibility of Zach Charbonnet eventually seeing more of a split. And that brings me to probably the top point of this episode. Again, the position does not seem to be in good shape right now. So in order to have the best possible roster and maximize your chances of winning a fantasy championship, I would highly recommend stacking up on talented running backs as handcuffs. Charbonnet, I guess, mentioned he's the top one. He was highlighted last week. The others to consider would be Ezekiel Elliott, Maybe even he gets traded with the Patriots at 1-5. I'm not sure there's a great landing spot. If I were Dallas, I would honestly look into it because Tony Pollard hasn't quite looked like the player we saw last season when he operated as the 1B option and was the workhorse in short stints. But assuming Zeke remains in New England, he'd still have at least high-end RB2 upside if Remondre Stevenson, who got banged up last week, were to ever go down. AJ Dillon is another. It sounds like Aaron Jones will be back, but Dillon is a great handcuff to have. And Green Bay should lean on the run game all season with Jordan Love under center. Jordan Mason was already mentioned, he's another premium handcuff to have. And then the other guy that's probably on the fringes of that high end handcuff range would be Kenneth Gainwell. DeAndre Swift has been the lead back for the Eagles, but he has some durability issues throughout his career. So, in a high-powered offense, Gainwell is worth holding on to, or adding if available, because of his handcuff upside. So, for this week, there are quite a few guys that are stepping in, aside from Jordan Mason and Elijah Mitchell, from Zach Evans to Craig Reynolds. Although Jameer Gibbs will be the lead back for Detroit if he plays, and now is the time to buy low on him, perhaps the last opportunity, and also Rochon Johnson we have as a top 20 option taking on the Raiders and he'll get a three game stretch to show he's capable of being the starter with Khalil Herbert being on IR. And for Arizona last week the conversation was between Keontae Ingram and Amari DiMercato but veteran Damian Williams ended up being the lead back and I think that will continue to be the case with James Conner out. Williams is someone that I've really liked dating back to his time with the Chiefs he hasn't really gotten much of an opportunity over the past couple of seasons, but this week is a good matchup versus Seattle, and we'll see if the veteran can pay off as a spot start, and we have him as our RB30. So, the big takeaway for running backs is to consider investing in premium handcuff options to protect yourself and maximize the upside of your bench ahead of the fantasy playoffs. For the wideouts, I touched on DK Metcalf potentially having a huge game this weekend. We have him as our overall wide receiver six. He hasn't always done the best versus the Cardinals, but it's a new coaching staff with Jonathan Gannon coming over from Philadelphia. And the Eagles, notably our team that Metcalf has gone off against. So we'll see if that continues with the breakout game this week. At wide receiver 13, we have Christian Kirk taking on the Saints. After Kirk had a quiet opener, Doug Peterson mentioned that he's better versus opponents that play heavy man defense, and that will be the Saints to a tee. So with Trevor Lawrence banged up with an injury, look for him to lean on Kirk as his usual security blanket, and he should be viewed as a borderline wide receiver one, wide receiver two. At wide receiver 17, Zay Flowers taking on Detroit. He called his first career touchdown last week in London, and we are very high on his ability. So with Odell Beckham Jr. and Rashad Bateman each having injury issues and now essentially splitting work, Flowers is the clear number one and at least looks like a weekly low-end wide receiver two flex option. For the commanders, Terry McLaurin was able to get going last week against Atlanta. I had a feeling they would do what they can to get him involved early, and that's what ended up happening. But the commanders still don't look great offensively. They were held below 200 yards in the win. And I'd like to see Jahan Dotson get more involved. He did have a big opportunity last week. Dropped a would-be touchdown, or if not a long gain. But that was his only target. And now after getting McLaurin involved early, Ron Rivera has said that Dotson will eventually break out. It's easy to imagine that being this week, Versus the Giants defense that he had success against as a rookie. So it's tough to trust the commanders right now. And the chemistry with Sam Howell hasn't been great for Dodson since the regular season began. But I'd give him another shot based on talent as an upside flex. Then for some Hail Mary type options. I've mentioned them quite a bit, including last week. But Kadarius Toney and Rasheed Rice both played well last Thursday night. Rice had 72 yards, Tony found the end zone. And I think the Chiefs will eventually view them as their clear top two options at the position. So with Justin Watson hurt, Sky Moore not really taking advantage of his early opportunities, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling still being used as more of a situational deep threat, I'd want to invest in Tony and Rice. And I think both are decent flex options this week in a potential shootout versus the Chargers. And for a major upside play, James Williams caught a 45-yard touchdown last week. And he's only seen six targets in two games. But based on the pure speed, Williams looks more like the guy we saw at Alabama. He's probably never going to be a high-volume target, especially with Amon ra St. Brown in Detroit. But Williams has monster upside, and he could be started this week against the Ravens as Detroit perhaps opens up the offense even more based on how well Jared Goff has been playing. And another young deep threat to keep an eye on would be Jalen Hyatt. I mentioned New York getting him more involved last week, and the Commanders are a team that has struggled to defend downfield throws. So if you're going for pure upside, Hyatt might only need one or two targets to pay dividends, and he's at least a cheap option to consider for DFS lineups. And then finally, to hit on someone else that I've talked about quite a bit in recent weeks, Marvin Mims Jr. The trade value for Jerry Judy might not be high enough for Denver to move him, especially after comments from Steve Smith, the future Hall of Fame wideout, potentially lowered his value even further. But if Judy is eventually moved, then Mims should step into a bigger role, and he's shown major upside on limited snaps and is someone to hold on to with the hopes of him playing more of a featured role by the fantasy playoffs. So maybe not this week as a strong option. He's simply not playing enough. But I'd invest in Mims now before the trade deadline and hope he's eventually more of a focal point in the offense. And quickly at tight end, staying in Denver, but for this week's opponent, Luke Musgrave is a top 10 play. Basically, Vance Joseph's defense, whether it be Travis Kelsey or anyone else, does not do a good job defending opposing tight ends, so the outlook is great for Musgrave this week, and he can be picked up and started. Right behind him is Pat Farramuth, who will be taking on the Rams. He's missed time with a hamstring injury, but he said he'll play on Sunday, and Los Angeles has shown some weakness versus opposing tight ends. And for the rookie tight ends, other than Sam Laporta, who is locked in as a top-ten option, Dalton Kincaid should be back this week after missing Sunday night's game with a concussion. And because of his talent, he's someone to add if available. And keep on your bench, even if he's not getting enough work right now to be viewed as a capable starter. And Michael Mayer for the Raiders, who will be taking on the Bears this week. I think Devontae Adams will go off. I don't see Chicago being able to cover him but Mayer had 75 yards last week and has been getting more involved in Josh McDaniel's offense. So even if you can't trust those two right now in redraft formats, the dynasty arrow is pointing up and Kincaid in particular is someone we have very high hopes for in 2024 and beyond. So that will conclude this episode. As always, you can find our full rankings and analysis on WolfSports.com and if you're a subscriber, we'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. Until next time, I'm Dylan Shepin, this was the Fantasy Conservatory Podcast.